feels good to be in the house of the Lord and feel his presence. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. Elisha is at the end of his life here. What a powerful man of God he was. He followed Elijah until the mantle fell. He just asked for a double portion of Elijah's blessing. And he walked in the spirit and presence of God, and God did many great things in his midst. However, the nation that, of Israel that, that he was a part of, they were in a very turbulent time at this point in time in history. And Elisha is now, uh, per the word of the Lord, sick, and it tells us that he's not going to recover from this illness. He's going to die from this sickness. 2 Kings 13, 14, now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And Joash took unto him bow and arrows. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. See, Elisha, at this point in time of his life, he doesn't have the physical strength to draw the, the bow himself. But he still is very accomplished in his spiritual anointing. And he still has a great power and authority with God as long as somebody will allow their hands to be directed by the man of God in their life. So even though he can't pull the bowstring back himself, he tells Joash, who's very able, get the bow and draw it back. And he just simply puts his hands upon Joash's hands. And he tells him, he says, open the window eastward. And he opened it and Elisha said, shoot. And he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. See, Israel was in trouble here. You have to understand, this is not the Israel that we're all thinking of, the mighty warriors, the huge armies marching around the walls of Jericho, taking down cities and, 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 uh, and, and having mighty victories. This is not David's Israel right here. This is Joash's Israel. And they're in trouble. He says, shoot the arrow. And he shot it. And he says, you're going to smite the Syrians in Aphek until you have consumed them. And Joash is like, awesome. This is great. This is what I've been looking for. I need that. And he said, take, take the arrows. Joash grabs the arrows from the quiver and he took them and he said unto the king of Israel smite upon the ground and he smote three times two three and he stopped verse 19 says the man of God Elisha was wroth with him and said thou shouldest have smitten five or six times then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it whereas now thou shalt smite Syria 
but thrice. I want to just preach unbroken arrows. Unbroken arrows. Amen. You may be seated today. I hope you won't remain seated. There aren't too many things in this world that make me feel better, happier, bring much more joy to me than to have someone get excited about seeing me. Uh, I enjoy when people enjoy being in my company. Yesterday, I walked into a, uh, a particular car dealership to make a delivery. And I uh, walked, I typically have my little area that I go to, but these two ladies were standing there and the one said, you need a signature. Well, I, I, I'm no fool. I, I'm not going to walk any further than what I have to walk. If somebody's willing to sign for the package and, and take it off my hands. And I stopped. I said, absolutely. And I walked over to two ladies and handed the package to them. And uh, she began to sign her name. And, and they were just exchanging a couple pleasantries. How's the day? That kind of stuff. And I, when I looked up, the, the one lady says, hey, I know you. And it happened to be somebody I hadn't seen in several years. Uh, I, I didn't know who she was, but I could not remember what her name was. I couldn't remember where I knew her from. And I said, you're going to have to refresh my memory. And so we began to, uh, to talk about where it was that we knew each other from. And, and, and she was really seemed to be very happy. She was very kind and, and very nice. And she was smiling real big. And, and I, I was enjoying uh, the fact that she, uh, you know, had made the connection. And we figured out where we had seen each other from before. And then, it, uh, and then she, she dropped the bomb on me. She said, hey, if you're ever in the market for a new car, I'll come and see me. Kind of took the whole air out of everything, uh, you know, from, from my end of things. I was like, you know, I thought she was so happy and so kind, and maybe she was. I, I'm not saying that she wasn't, but, but something about it almost seemed like, you know what, maybe she had an ulterior motive for being so nice and so uh, happy to see me. Uh, another instance, Friday, we were uh, up in Fairview Heights kind of uh, doing a little bit of uh, run around, trying to gather up a few things for family camp, and we were getting ready, and uh, my wife and I stopped in a restaurant that had been recommended to us by uh, Mallory and we thought we'd try it out and uh, we were very happy with the restaurant and and I just finished up the meal my wife had got up and stepped away from the table for a little while and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I see this blonde-headed uh, streak of lightning come across the dining room area, through weaving through tables and chairs and running uh, through uh, the, the the area there in the restaurant. And and that little six-year-old, well, five years old, about ready to be six years old, little uh, grandson of mine by the name of Easton, he dove up into my lap with this great big smile on my face, surprising me that he was there. I had no idea that they were uh, coming to that restaurant restaurant or that I would even see them that day. But he just dove into my arms and dove into my lap and he nuzzled his head right up into my shoulder and I said, well, hey, it's so good to see you. And that smile told me everything that I needed to know. It told me that he uh, was really enjoying the fact that, that he was in my presence. He was excited to see his grandfather. Yes. Didn't embarrass me at all. To have him run across and dive into my arms. People were looking and kind of grinning. Oh, isn't that cute? You know, uh, uh, they must know each other. That's got to be his grandfather. It wasn't so cute when Bryce tried to pull the same thing. He, he came across and dove into my lap. and Not so much, but 
I said, I am not paying for your meal. Get up out of my lap. You got to pay for your own meal. We enjoy, we enjoy when people are excited to be in our presence. I think God designed us. As a matter of fact, I know God designed us uh, to be a lot like him in a lot of different ways. Now, we're not perfect like he is. Our thoughts aren't high like his thoughts are. Our ways aren't, aren't like his ways a lot of times. But in, in us, he sees himself in a lot of ways. And I believe that God is very much the same way in the fact that he gets really excited when people come to the house of the Lord and they don't sit around looking at their watches waiting to leave and can't wait to get out, but they can't wait to just snuggle up and, and jump in his lap and be excited about being in the presence of the almighty God just to know him, just to talk with him, just to spend some time with him makes him happy. I think it thrills him to see one of his children step out on a limb of faith with confidence in the God that that he served. Now, can you imagine some little stranger jumping up in my lap like that? But Easton has no problem. Sometimes I have to be, be careful with him say, hey, take it just a little bit easy there. You know, he's nothing but knees and elbows right now. And, and they get to flailing every wh which way. And I'll get one across side of the nose and one in the, in the, in the, in the side of my, uh, in my side there, you know, in my, in my leg, my thigh. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, man, dude, you're, you're going to rough me up. I'm going to walk out of here with bruises. But he had no problem finding me accessible to him because he knows that me as his grandfather, I have never said, whoa, stop right there. Don't you dare come any closer to me. But I can almost guarantee that my arms have always been open to him. Even when I was hurting and my back was out uh, all those years ago, when he would want to climb up in my lap, I would have to tell him, you know what, you got to be a little more careful than usual, but come on up. Climb on up in Grandpa's lap. I want to, you near me. I want you, I want to hold you. I want to be with you. And I believe that God loves it when his people want to be near him, are excited about being with him, and want to climb up into his lap and let him converse with them. In our text today, there's a problem going on. Israel had been at war with Syria. They had had a previous king, Jehoahaz, and he had not been a good king. He had been an evil king, and he had led Israel down into the paths of all kinds of idolatry, and they were doing all kinds of wicked things, and therefore God just kind of backed away from it. It wasn't that he didn't love Israel. It wasn't that he didn't still consider them his people, but I'll tell you this much, when, uh, when the people of God don't want God around them, God, he, he'll just back away. He doesn't create the problem for him. Problems just naturally occur. And somebody needs to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. A lot of times we like to blame God for things that he has no business being blamed for that have gone wrong in our lives. We like to handle things on our own, do things our own way, make our own decisions without regarding what he wants us to do or praying about it and seeing what God may inspire us to do or the direction that he may lead us. And when we start doing things that are going against his will, God says, hey, I'd like to come with you here, but unfortunately, I would have to cross over the blood. I would have to go away from the word, and I can't go with you in certain places that you're going to go if you go against my word. And so God just kindly steps back and allows us to go our own way. 
and then things fall apart in our life. We start doing all the wrong things and, and all the wrong things start happening. We start reaping the, the, the rewards or the, the problems of the seeds that we've been planted. And then we want to turn around and point our finger at God and say, God, where have you been? He said, I've been right where I've always been. Where did you go? And this is Israel's plight. Israel's in a place where God has just kind of, he sees and he knows, but he is powerless to do anything about it because they have kicked him out. And so the nation of Syria has come in and they have defeated the Israelites so bad, in fact, that their military had been reduced to just a handful uh, of people. Uh, 2 Kings 13 and 7 tells us, neither did he leave of the people of Jehoahaz, but 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. Brother Wright, that's not a whole lot of people. I'm glad that the army, the United States military has more than 50 horsemen and, and uh, 10 chariots and 10,000 warriors in it. I'm glad that we have a, a large surplus of people because we have a great nation to defend. We have to keep our enemies at bay, but Israel didn't have hardly anybody left. And so Jehoahaz, he dies, and his son Joash takes over the reign as king of Israel. Now, you would say, man, that's awesome. You're king, but, but what are you king of? You may be king of your castle, but what kind of shape is your castle in? And so he not only inherits the throne, he inherits all the problems of the throne. He's, he's, he's got no military. He's got nothing but problems. He's got a broken down <coughs> nation that's godless, and he's not been any more uh, wise than his father was. He's also a wicked king. But the difference is, is that Joash, he finds himself in a place where he's like, hey, I, I do happen to remember something a long time ago about some man of God by the name of Elisha. Is that old dude even still around anymore? Somebody says he is, but he's sick. And he may not recover, so Joash goes down. He finds Elisha, and this is where we pick up the story today. He, he goes into Elisha, and he begins to tell Elisha the problems. And I, I'm thinking in my heart, you know, Elisha, this great man of God, you know, he had to love his country. He had to have been disappointed at the state that it was in. He knew exactly how powerful God could be and how blessed the Hebrews could be if only they would turn their hearts back towards God. He sat under Jehoahaz. He's watched Jehoahaz bring idolatry and wickedness into his nation, and he's had to weep some tears. He's had to find himself in a place of despondency at times over the situation that his nation is in, and yet now he finds that there's a son that's come into play, and that son, Joash, has coming and, and, uh, and wanting some counsel from him. There's got to be a little sparkle of hope. Joash says, listen, we don't have enough to go to war with Syria. We're down to next to nothing. They have whooped our tail on every front. 
tell me, is there anything that we can do? And that's when, uh, that's when the man of God, he says, take your bow and open up the window. He said, let me put my hands upon your hands. Let's shoot this thing together. And as they watch that arrow fly, uh, Elisha looks at him and he says, hey, man. He says, hey, listen to me. Now you're going to win something. Doesn't matter what you have or how small you may seem to be. Doesn't matter what your military looks like. If God before you, who can be against you? And you know that Joash had to be a little bit excited about that. Finally, some positive news. Finally, somebody that believes that we're not going to die in this thing. But God wasn't finished testing Joash. He still wanted to see where his heart stood. Joash would have walked out right then and right there. He probably could have walked out and and, and went out and, and won an effect. But, but, but Elisha says, now wait just a second before you leave. Grab your arrows. He's like, oh, okay, no problem. He grabs his arrows out of the quiver. He says, I want you to strike the ground. What? You know, sometimes God will ask you to do some things that just don't seem to make sense at all. Go dip in the Jordan. Why can't I go dip in, in, in the, some cleaner rivers? How come it's got to be that one? How come I can't go somewhere else? And if we're not careful, we will talk our way right out of a victory. We'll talk our way right out of a healing. We'll talk our way right out of a deliverance because God has a reason for everything he does. It's not so much about the water or the river. It's about the intent of your heart. He wants to see, are you willing to obey what he says? The miracle's not in the river. The miracle's not in the striking of the arrows. The miracle comes from the condition of our heart and how excited we are to be in the presence of an almighty God and believe that he can deliver us from our enemies. He can resort to a victory when we need him to come through for us. Our God is an ever-consuming fire. So Joash takes the arrows out. And I don't know exactly how he did it, but I can, I can just see him. Okay, uh, like, wh- where do you want me to strike him at? I mean, Elisha's uh, like, wherever, just on the ground. You know, he's like, uh, okay, well, I don't want to hit anybody. Uh, what if pieces fly off here? And, you know, he's sick, and he may not recover. There's people around, so he takes him, and he, one. Choose anybody watching? <laughs> I hope nobody's recording this. I hope this doesn't wind up on Facebook someplace, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and, and so he makes sure nobody's videotaping him. And the third time he strikes him and he stops. And says, there we go. He's standing up. He's ready to hear another, uh, another praise from Elisha. He's ready to hear Elisha say, phenomenal. This is going to be awesome. You are going to lead God's people out of this, uh, uh, the Syrian, uh, uh, out of the nation of the Syrians. You're, you're going to be able to lead them to victory against your enemies. But the Bible tells us that that's not what happened. 
Elisha looks at him. He sees the half-heartedness of him. He looks at those unbroken arrows where he thought, man, if I'm going to, I've already given this guy some good news and told him he was going to beat him at Aphek, now I'm going to see how many victories that, he, that he's going to have. Take those arrows out and strike them on the ground. Let's see what you got, Bubba. And he takes them and he just strikes them one, two, three times. And the Bible says that Elisha became wroth with him. He, he wasn't just disappointed. He wasn't just a little bit upset. He was flat out mad at Joash. Yes. That word wrath means violent, turbulent, highly incensed. I believe that if Elisha had had his strength and wasn't laying there on his deathbed, he'd have probably got up and clocked Joash right in the nose. He was so angry because he watched as the victory that God would promise his people in his dying days was going right out of the tube, right down the tube because there was a king that was there that wanted something for nothing, but he was not full, uh, wholeheartedly serving God for the right reasons. What a disappointment to be in your last days and seeing the, the glimpse of hope for the nation that he loved just go down the tubes with a king who wasn't willing to give it his everything. He left his arrows unbroken. Unbroken arrows with the signifier of a half-heart, half-hearted king, a half-hearted servant. You see, everybody wants God to bail them out. There's a lot of people that have come to God to get them out of the hot water that they're in. But what is the motive behind it? Are we willing to serve God with our whole heart? Are we willing to obey God when he asks us to do something that we're uncomfortable with doing? It's not like he asks you to, to, to make a... a, a a trek around the world carrying a, a cross, you know. You don't have to go cross-country dragging some cross or, or crawl uh, up a mountain top on your knees. He simply says, would you come down to an altar, kneel yourself before me, open up your heart to me. It's as simple as that. And yet sometimes we're so full of pride, sometimes we're so full of our own problems that we're not even willing to do that in order to get the, re uh, the redemption that God promises us. God wants you to know today that there's victory for you, but you've got to accept it with a whole heart and with fervency. You can leave no arrows unbroken. It's all or nothing. It's everything or nothing. God loves those who are passionate about serving him because those with passion, they're oblivious to the obstacles. Somebody that's passionately in love with something won't let anything stand in their way of retrieving the thing that they love. They're not embarrassed by what God asked him to do. Joash 
he wasn't passionate. I don't know, maybe he felt silly. Possibly he was just doing it to appease an old man that he had a little respect for. But he did not catch on to the fact that God wasn't going to put any more effort into the battle than he was willing to put into it. got to be some effort on our part. There's a blessing in your efforts. Your worship is never wasted. Well, we got up and shouted, and there was people in the altar, and we had a victory march, and not much came of it. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot more coming from your worship than sometimes what you realize there is. There's something taking place in some areas. There's some victories being won. Don't you ever sit back and say, my worship is wasted. If I run an aisle or I shout or I jump around for joy or I give God everything that's within me and I don't see anything, any results from it, don't you ever think that God does not look down upon that and see it as being wasted. God sees your worship as being something that is beautiful and it's not just beautiful, it's powerful. Amen. Because those that have a passion to worship God, God will help you retrieve the Holy Ghost. God will help you retrieve the victory. God will help you retrieve the deliverance that you're looking for in your life. But you've got to be sold out with everything that's within you. You can't be backed up into embarrassment. You can't fall. You can't walk away. You've got to stay on track. You've got to stay focused. You've got to stay on fire. Don't leave one arrow on broken but smash every arrow in your quiver until there's nothing but dust left from your arrows there must be no unbroken arrows in this church we must be passionate about what we believe I said it not too long ago there's other churches in this town got great music other churches in this town got great, great preachers. Other churches in this town got a whole lot of things going on. They got fish fries and they got bingo nights and they got Las Vegas nights and they got all kinds of different societal things that draw people and draw crowds. Hey Amen. We can't compete with Hollywood. Hey Amen. We can't compete with the churches across town on certain things. But I'll tell you what we can, ought to never be second best in. And that is our worship. That is our fervency. That is the power of the Holy Ghost, amen, as it courses through this church and through our services because you may be able to give somebody a little something to make them feel better for a day, but there's nothing more powerful than somebody walking out of here healed in their body, amen, healed in their spirit, healed from their addiction. We must have the supernatural. We've got to have victory. And victory only comes when we're passionate about what we're doing and we leave no arrows unbroken. Praise God. You may be seated. The little bee in its first stage is tucked away in a hexagonal cell and it's given just enough honey in order to keep it alive. But as it grows, it eats the honey, and once the honey is done, the bee should be at a place in a stage in its life where it can begin to come out, work its way out of its little cell. The bee eats the honey and then begins to feel tight and cramped and 
Life starts off full of struggle. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Oh, my word. This is hard. Seems like every day I wake up to a new challenge, and just when I get one thing fixed, something else breaks over here. Uh, the other day I came home, and I can't remember how many things I took care of. I didn't just have one flat tire. I had two flat tires. You know, it's, it's not that life is it's just uh, an easy road that we go down. Life can be a struggle. It can be a struggle financially sometimes, emotionally. You go down spiritually sometimes. All these different things that bombard us while we are here that try to keep us from becoming what God wants us to become. Life is, you feel like you're tight and cramped in that little cell and you barely got enough to eat and you're getting hungry and all of a sudden you think, the only thing I know to do just try to work my way out of this because if you don't work your way out of it you're going to die right where you are so that little bee begins to work its way out of that little that little cell it's it's outgrown it and it must work and it's got to press its way through the wax that's holding it within its small confines where it will die if it stays. And in its struggle, what happens is the bee begins to, in that tight, cramped space, there's a reason that it's so tight. And that's because the bee has a membrane uh, uh, wrapped around its wings that has to be worn off by something. You see, if, if, the, if it was not tight and if it was not cramped and if it always had food and everything, that bee may, might would stay right there, but it would only be able to stay there long enough until it finally got uh, stuck in that place and would not be able to get out. Come on, come on. Sometimes the things that make us uncomfortable, sometimes the things that makes us feel even burdened down, God allows those uncomfortable things to come into our life in order to get us out of the place that we're now in because he realizes that if he doesn't get us out of that place where we now feel comfortable, that the place that we feel comfortable now will eventually become our tomb. God wanted Joash to fly. He wanted to be back involved in Israel's life. He wanted them to have victory. But the king had too many unbroken arrows. And so he just had three victories, which left him very confined. Did not get him out of his cell. This was not David's Israel. David's Israel was, David wrote this, Psalms 119 and 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. My whole... David, you made mistakes. Yes. Yes, I did. I, I, I did make mistakes. I made major mistakes. But I also came back to God and I gave him my whole heart. I didn't try to justify my mistakes. I accepted the responsibility of the things that I had done wrong. I accepted the punishment of it. But when it was over and when it was done, I got up. I brushed myself off. I cleaned myself up. And I went in and I got something to eat and broke my fast. And then guess what I did? I went in and I worshiped God with everything that is in me. Yeah. David's victories were many. That's why 
they sang the song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. David understood that God is pleased with those who hold nothing back from him, but with everything that is within them, wholly give themselves to his will. Psalms 119 and 2 says, blessed are they that keep his testimonies, that seek him with the whole heart. When the people struggle with God, I'll tell you what they're really struggling with. They're struggling with giving themselves completely to God. That's where the real struggle is at because, honey, when you give everything to him, you can find yourself poor. You can find yourself undone. You can find yourself in a place in this world where you don't have too much of what this world has to offer, but the one thing you won't find is you won't find a bunch of unpeaceful thoughts in your heart when you give yourself holy to God, God will bring you to a place of victory and it won't take money to bring you there. It won't take fame to bring you there. All it takes is giving your whole heart to God and God will get you there. With my whole heart. Withholding nothing. Will our music come today? I'm going to wrap this up. I've got more to go, but I'm the most unhappy people in the world are those who try to live for God with God in one hand and hang on to the world with the other James 1 and 8 says a double minded man is unstable in all his ways This is not a day and an hour in which to preserve your arrows. Joash, obviously an archer, probably a very talented archer, probably had seen battles. You know what he was basically doing? He was becoming defenseless. If I smash these arrows, I won't have anything to defend myself with. And the whole point, I think, that Elisha was trying to make here was that that's right. And you're not going to win if you had 10 million arrows without God. We try as we might to make our own way through this life. And we try to, and I think we should. I think we ought to prepare. We ought to plan. We ought to do things the best that we, we ought to good stewards we are, but but there's sometimes when you come across something in your life that you simply can't buy your way out of you get a call from the doctor or you're fighting with an addiction and you give all the money that you had in your checkbook to be able to go back to that day and said if I could just decide not to put that needle in my arm or not to take that bottle in my hand or not to do whatever it was that got you involved in whatever it is that's got you. You'd spend everything that you had just like the little woman that had the issue of blood and be no better off. You see, because there's just some things that you can't fix on your own. There's some victories that your arrows just can't win some things that you just don't have an answer for in your arsenal and yet we 
hold on very dearly to the things that we feel like protect us and keep us safe. When the reality is there's no protection in them at all. It's only when we're willing to take what we have, what we're capable of doing, and smash them before the Lord. Say, now God, you defend me. You take over. I've left no arrows unbroken. I'm standing here with a bow that is useless without the arrow. But Lord, if that means that you'll come to my rescue, would you stand today? I'm fighting the fight of my life right now because I'm trying to deal with pride in this place. See, it's pride that holds us back. It's pride that whispers in our ear and says, maybe I'll go up there tomorrow. It's pride that says, what are other people going to think? It's pride that says, who's going who's to see this and, and think that I'm foolish or wonder what's going on in my life? It's pride that will keep you from smashing the arrows in your quiver. But if you don't get past that today, you may take your arrows home with you, but your arrows aren't going to save you. Your arsenal is not going to save you. It's only when you break the arrows and you say, God, I've done everything that I can do. I've come to the man of God. I've listened to the man of God. Speak your word. And here I am today. And I need you to get me out of this. Right now you're feeling awkward. You're feeling uncomfortable. You may feel like even a bit foolish. But it's really just as simple as making your way out from where you're at, coming bowing a knee and smashing some arrows today. Are you going to go home today with unbroken arrows and a broken heart? Are you willing to come and break some arrows and let God mend your heart? I want them to begin to sing this song, and I want to invite those, those that would today. You're looking for a little bit of something. Maybe you've been serving God on your terms, and it's gone okay. But you know in your heart that you've not given him everything. Withholding nothing. You haven't really sold out and completely committed to him. God say there's so much, so many victories I want to give you. There's so many people I want to save through you. You've got family members that aren't serving God. And could it be the key? 
him is for you to smash some arrows today and completely sell out to him and take a stand for what you know is right. If you want to continue on, nobody can stop you. If you want to do things your own way, no one will stop you. God will just simply back off and let you go your way. But if there's some here today that are willing to make their way, say, God, God, I see the fruitfulness, the unfruitfulness of God, my adventure, my, my abilities. God, I see how flimsy my capabilities are. So, Lord, I've come up here today, God, to lay some things down before you. God, I've come up here today, God, to allow you to take complete control. This altar is open for you today.